the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good men and women around the world who want to make a difference. The engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed, but the only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for episode number 314, The Witness. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Bussing. In today's show, we're going to go over all of your questions for episode 314. And as you remember, in this episode, I walked you through my trip to Texas that included going to the kids' graduation in Lubbock, going to Spruce High School, and visiting Troy Eldridge. And let's not forget the revelation at the end that also while I was in Texas, I got to meet with Shauna Couples. So in the first segment today, we're going to answer all your questions. And then in the second segment of today's episode, instead of voicemails, we're going to hear from the man behind the Truth and Justice music. I've asked our sound engineer, Shane Yoder, of PutThemInASong.com if he'd give us a few minutes of his time to explain his process to all of you and talk about how things have developed over the season. So look for that interview with Shane right after the ad. For those of you that just aren't interested in anything besides case content, here's my promise that there's nothing about the case happening after the ad. It's just an interview with Shane, but I encourage all of you to listen because Shane's just a really cool guy and we have a really neat talk. It's like 15 minutes long or something like that. So hopefully all of you stick around and get to know Shane a little bit. And like I said, for those of you that are just on busy schedules and only want to hear about the case, go ahead and listen to the ad. Right after the ad, you can go ahead and shut things down, and we'll talk to you on Sunday with the episode with the interview with Shauna Couples. All right, let's get started. So really quick, over the course of your investigation and since I've begun working with you, we've worked hand-in-hand hand with Allison and her students on a number of cases. Ashley, Mercedes, and Rudy were a huge help and put in a ton of hours analyzing trial transcripts, affidavits, and other reports. With them graduating now, will you be working as closely with Allison's next class? Or does that kind of depend on if we take our next case in Texas? Even if our next case ends up not being in Texas... And even if, say, we're able to wrap Jesse's case up by the end of the summer, which I, I, I doubt, there's still a lot to do with the ongoing investigation in his case, but, you know, it could happen. And we're already starting to work on some, some cases on deck, as you know. Mm -hmm. But even if our next case isn't in Texas and we have Jesse's case wrapped by the end of the summer, we'll still be working hand-in-hand -hand with Allison and her new students because we have Ed H's case that's still, in, you know, right now we just had DNA sent out or it's being sent out right now. And the turnaround time for that, it was a, a few months, wasn't it? Yeah, just like, uh, they, I think they said up to like 60 days. Mm -hmm. And so depending on what those results are. So th there's still going to be motions filed, hearings. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on with Ed's case as well as Jesse's case. And either of them go to an actual hearing where they're taking testimony or a new trial, most certainly will be down there. I mean, I would assume that I would have to testify at either one of their trials if they were to have a new trial. So we'll still be working together. And, you know, as I said way back two years ago when we launched into doing this full time and taking our own cases, that the show's dynamic. 
you know, we have just this week and Sayed is going in for his appeals hearing. Uh, and actually, he won't be there, but the, but he has his appeal hearing this week. And now I was going to talk about that a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I think that I'll default to undisclosed. They did an episode, if you all of you hadn't listened, on Ednon's uh, appeal. And that's the state appealing Judge Welch's decision. There's a hearing on that coming up, I think, June 2nd, which is probably the day this airs. Today, this, yeah, this airs on Friday. Yeah. So it'll be today. So that'll be happening. So, but yeah, I mean, we'll go back at some point and probably give you updates on what's going on with Adnan when there's movement in the case. And we'll drop back into Ed's case when we need to. And you know, when there's movement there and we may take our next case somewhere else, we're looking at some cases that are not in Texas. And I know you Texas people that are listening are upset. You've kind of got used to Mike and I hanging around down there. But, you know, we're going to go where we feel that we can make the most difference in someone's life uh, and where there's been an injustice that we might be able to correct. So we may go somewhere else, but that doesn't mean that the next case might bring us right back down to Texas. It just, you know, we're, we're in this for the long haul. We're not, that's where we kind of differ from some other shows where, you know, they're going to plop in and do a season and, you know, take a break. That's not us. I mean, this is Mike and I, both of our, it's our full-time job. We do this 40 to 60 to 70 hours a week, every single week, and we're going to continue to do it. So follows, and, you know, and, and future seasons may look different. You know, we just don't know. That's the beauty of us being one of the few independent podcasts out there. We can do whatever the hell we want. Yeah, definitely. So that's a really long answer to a really short question. No, it was good stuff, Bob. <laughs> All right. After your trip to Lubbock, it was back to business when you headed out to Pleasant Grove and revisited the crime scene in Grady Spruce High School. Am I saying that right? Grady Spruce High School? I believe it is H. Grady Spruce, uh, if you're going to say it properly. Uh, Otherwise known as Spruce High. Okay, I like Spruce High. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to need to correct me like four or five more times throughout this recording. I'll just let it go. It's not a big deal. You were able to get your hands on Spruce High School yearbooks, I believe from the classes of 1990, 91, and 92. Right. Then you copied one and took photos of the others to take with you back to Michigan. Have you been able to find any people of interest out of these yearbooks, or have you have you even really looked into them yet? Uh, no, we haven't gotten to that just yet. Uh, we've had, you know, we've got the Shauna interview that we're working on editing still and piecing together for this episode. So no, we haven't really delved into those yet. But what what I got copies of is I took the 1991 yearbook is what we made copies of. Now they've they've assured us that we have access to these anytime we want to go back. We were on a tight schedule. So what I did was I took the 91 yearbook, I made photocopies of the senior class. So these would be the kids that graduated right before uh, the murder happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also copied or took photos of the entire junior class, which is it's a lot of kids. Right. So those would be the people that would be seniors that came into the senior class of the school right after Kiao's murder. And to make clear, the the process there, the, the purpose for that is not that we think that necessarily one of those kids in the pages of that book is the killer or a number of those kids. It's all about just establishing a foothold that can lead us to who the killer is. So the whole someone knows something concept, right? So we start going through that list of, I'll probably start with the juniors, the people that came into school as seniors the next year, literally just weeks after the murder happened. And we'll start asking them about the crime. You know, a lot of them may say, I don't know anything about it. Some may say, yeah, I remember, but not too much. But the hope is that you hit somebody along that list that says, oh, yeah, it was crazy. I remember so-and-so telling me blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. So now we jump on to so-and-so. Talk to them. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I heard that from – it's just starting uh, in the center there, finding the one person that knows something and start working those concentric circles out 
are actually, you know, kind of the other way around. So we're working the perimeter of people that have a little bit of information that can direct us to the one person that knows. And that's something that I think really sets us apart from what the police investigation was. What we're doing is we're just taking such a broad approach rather than just looking for, you know, who are the leads. We're going to, you know, the people that were on the ground at the time that were living there and living life during all of this. People talk. Yeah. And it could be rumors and it could whatever it is, but it's just a matter of just starting to canvas those people and finding the person that knows something. It could be a searching for a needle in a haystack scenario. A lot of work, a lot of time to be able to track that one person down that might have the answer. Maybe. I, I honestly don't think it's going to be that bad because, and that's why, so I'm specifically targeting the senior class of 1991, the ones that went into class of 91, because that's going to be the talk of the town right then, yeah. right? When they come to school. Uh, and so you, you have those those group there, they're the experienced students, the students that were there, they knew Kiao because they've been, you know, they've seen her in the lunchroom for three years leading up to this. You know, they're from the neighborhood. And so it's just it's just taking instead of the hundred thousand people in the Pleasant Grove area and narrowing it down to three hundred people who we know we're talking about it, right? You know, so I I think it I think it takes us from looking for that needle in a haystack to just you know a needle in a, a little bowl of hay, maybe, maybe in a high school, you know, like a needle Not in a high, high school. school. That's dumb. <laughs> needle in a high school, right? Moving along. All right, and also this episode was really the first time we got an idea of the kind of person Kia was from someone who actually knew her. Uh, thinking back to maybe Kenneth's testimony at trial, he probably described her personality a bit there, but Phyllis Cochran, who you spoke with on your trip, or no, who sent you an email, sorry, she said things like, Kia was friendly, very caring, too trusting, even health conscious. So we're starting to sort of figure out the type of lady Kia was. And you can tell from the email that Phyllis really cared about her and, and valued her friendship very deeply. What has finding this information about the real Kiao done for you as an investigator and for the way you view the case? Well, it just speaks to victimology. And that's uh, what, you know, it, it took a little while for Phyllis to, you know, kind of agree to let me talk about this. We, we talked about maybe doing an interview. That's why I hadn't kind of revealed what was uh, in the emails a while back. And then later she said she didn't want to do an interview, but I could use the emails. But it's it's all about victimology. So so earlier in the investigation, when people were asking about Kenneth, should should Kenneth be a suspect and things, and I was kind of you know in the same thing. I get a lot of these questions, and they're things that I can't necessarily reveal yet. Sometimes for production reasons, more oftentimes for legal reasons, I just have to hold some things back. But you know, like when I had said earlier, I I have no doubt in my mind that Kenneth Gove had nothing to do with this murder. A lot of it has to do with the victimology, not just from what she said, but from what everyone has told me. Like the man was devastated until the day he died, you know, uh, about her murder. And of course, we heard the sad story about the fact that he literally walked her final path every single day, uh, presumably until the day he died. Uh, I know it was gut-wrenching. I got a lot of tweets that people were crying in church while they were <laughs> thinking about that or, yeah. you know, in their cars on Sunday morning. Uh, but so what Phyllis does, is, it, it, and you can see she's answering specific questions that I asked her. If you go back and, and listen to that, mm-hmm. uh, because I was checking for victimology. Were there money problems? Uh, were there relationship problems? You know, what was her general personality? Was she trusting? Was she the type of person that would, uh, you know, yell at someone that she didn't know for doing something wrong? Uh, and so it, it goes a long way for as far as victimology to know that, okay, this wasn't somebody robbing her for her millions of dollars. They didn't have millions of dollars. 
This was not Kenneth having her killed because they had financial problems. They didn't have financial problems. They were very comfortable. Were they having problems in their relationship, problems with Kirby? So th- these are the things that kind of tell us, okay, so what are we looking for for motive? And as part of what is baffling about this case is there is no apparent motive, uh, which again takes us back to Jim Clemente's profile, uh, where we're looking at younger, criminally inexperienced, and really, I'll say Low Daniel's profile wasn't really a profile, but him saying just kind of knowing the area and knowing the people and the types of things that were happening is, you know, a bunch of kids that wanted, and by kids, I mean, I still consider you a kid at 27 See, years that's, old. See, that's actually, that's just way too far. I mean, I'm <laughs> almost 30 years old. Like, it, it, like a kid might be somebody who's, I don't know, 22, 23, but. Okay, you're not a kid. You're a grown-up. You're a grown-up now. I needed that. Yeah. I needed that, that self-validation. Yeah, but but so but when I'm just saying when I say kids, I don't mean they necessarily have to be like 15 year old kids. These could be, you know, like you said, 22, 23 younger people, but that just just had in their mind that they wanted to inflict harm on her or teach her a lesson or you know whatever that was, but they didn't know what that was going to look like. They right. didn't know how. They didn't have a plan. It was just you know let's let's just get her. Uh, makes a lot of sense because there's no other apparent motive. The health uh, information tells us that was the girdle. We did find out that Kenneth Gove testified that she always wore. The girdle. It sounds like she was very conscious of her body shape. That's part of the reason for the walking. And we learned from Phyllis that she eats healthy and all that stuff too. She was concerned about Ken's health. It just speaks a lot to victimology. I don't think it's going to help us solve the case, uh, but for me, it further concretes the idea that it would be a waste of time to continue checking into Kenneth Gove as a possible suspect with everything we know. There's just there's just right. no no way, in my opinion. Not that we haven't looked and checked as, as well as Kirby too, but there's just nothing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're on the uh, social media. There definitely were some listeners asking again about Kirby. Yeah, and I guess let me address that real quick, too. And I know I've done it before and said that, and it's it's not as simple as just, well, I'm just not going to investigate him because he's the child. We've looked into it, but look at the specifics of this crime scene. And I don't remember, and I apologize if I've already uh, articulated this on the show earlier uh, in another episode, but Keo had a stab wound that went through her aorta. She had a stab wound that went through her lungs, her diaphragm, her liver. These wounds would kill you within minutes. And she was still alive when Danny Stanbury found her. It's it's not like she was killed in her home and drugged there and dropped. Impossible. Literally impossible for that to have happened. So that would mean if it's Kirby, Kirby is in an enclosed, secluded place, their home, where he could kill her and have a plan and have all day why dad's at work to figure out what to do with the body. Uh, and she's right there where any conflict would happen would be right there. If he were to want to kill his mother, that would be like... For him to be a suspect, his plan would be, I'm going to let mom go out for a walk. I'm going to wait until she is in broad daylight in front of a wide open field with two backyards facing her. And I'm going to chase her down and stab her there and then run back to the house and bring any contaminants from the crime scene back to my house. Is It was his, I mean... It's it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, that that he would be involved. I mean, the only possibility for Kirby or Kenneth to be involved because of their alibis and the circumstances would be if it was like a hired hit, which, given their victimology, her victimology makes zero sense at all. Right. You know, the, the the middle class, comfortable family with not a lot of money but just enough you know, hires a hitman to kill his wife. Okay, so while we're on the subject of visiting the crime scene, I wanted to point out that once again, listener Paul Day contributes to the investigation. What did he? What did he do? We, we brought him up last week. He did something. I forget now. 
Paul's just involved on the in the discussion group a lot. He's he is Low Daniel's professor. He's the one that okay. introduced us to Low Daniel's. Okay. Um, and I saw on the fan page. I don't know if that's what you're about to get into. He he apparently does some work with maps. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a geoscientist and uh, skilled in map making and satellite image analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he put together that map of the crime scene. Yeah, and that's on the fan page. Paul put that post up, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I I don't mean to cut you off. No, no, you're fine. I'm not stepping on you. No, but, no, I just want to I just want to bring this up. Um, but I, I did. I don't know if I had a chance to talk to Paul about it on the fan page yet. But I personally don't think his map is exactly accurate. And so what he's trying to do, we're all trying to figure out where exactly Kiao's body was because there's so many different reports. And so he has pieced together, I think, from the couple of crime scene photos, and I'm guessing Google Image or Google Earth, and, and where he thinks in. And it's all about her proximity to the opening in the gate. And and Paul, I think, put that she was like 60 feet north of the uh, the gate. I don't personally think that's accurate uh, based on there's uh, one of Royster. Royster drew a diagram, and it's up on the website, that seems to show her right inside of the gate opening. Uh, in the fence and then also you had you know the descriptions from the the paramedics that say she was 15 to 20 feet inside the gate which it made it sound like they went straight inside the gate right uh there's just a lot i mean there, there there's some people say 10 feet some people say 15 feet some people say 20 feet stanbury said she was right there directly across uh, but so paul's trying to take all that into account and create an accurate map for us as to where her body was and uh, i mean he could be right i don't know we just don't know um, the one that I really default to is Royster's drawing, which is, of course, not to scale, but shows her directly in front of the opening. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have the odd thing that the paramedics said they handed her on the stretcher over the fence to get into the ambulance, as opposed to just walking her through. Straight through uh, the opening. Yeah, the opening. But then again, I'm thinking the opening may not be big enough. It doesn't look like it's big enough for a stretcher to fit through, so they would have to lift her up anyway. And so that could have been it. I'm I'm just not sure. So anyway, you had a question about no no no. I just wanted to just wanted to bring that up, and discuss it because I thought obviously he he took a lot of time and effort and put and uh, had really good intentions behind that project. So I, I just wanted to make sure that it was noted and brought to all the listeners' attention. Okay, yeah, yeah. Do check that out, and it is awesome. And like I said, he could be right, and it's he has put so much time into it because he's literally cross referencing all these different items of information. And using that to just accurately, not just guessing, but accurately try to make an educated estimation as to where her body was at. So, but, and there's some great discussion as always on that page underneath that thread. Mm, yeah. Okay. And then after the trip to the high school, you went to see Troy. And when you walked to Troy's front door, your worst fears came true. The unexpected happened face full of spider webs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, in response to that listener, Amy tweeted, she's talking about you here. He's pretty badass. Firefighter, super sleuth, dad, but put spiders in the mix. Oh hell no! I just wanted to share that. I thought it was pretty funny, kind of hilarious. So I just want to point out that someone was making fun of me on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, thanks. It was classic. <laughs> um, it was. To, you know, you've been in these situations with me before, where we've gone to to hostile. We call them the hostiles. Either have friendly interviews or hostile interviews. Yeah. And so you're just you're incredibly keyed up and nervous, and you're just taking everything in, and you're prepared for anything. You're pre- preparing for the worst, and and also trying to decide if they answer the door, how are you going to approach them? All that's running through your mind, and then. Face full of spider. The spider, I think, was in my mouth. I mean, it was just yeah. I mean, and of course, I'm trying to put on my tough guy, right? My tough guy walk. Like, All right, here I go, letting Troy know that we're walking. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, a spider. Yeah, it sucked. No, there was it was just a web though. There wasn't an actual spider, was there? I'm 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 gonna just hope that there wasn't a spider because yeah. it definitely was in my mouth. <laughs> all right. When you went to see Troy, it was obvious he wasn't glad to see you. Uh, he wasn't cooperative at all, even when you tried to explain to him that he could have been manipulated into betraying Jesse. Why do you think this time around he wasn't willing to talk to you? Uh, do you think it was because he's listened to the podcast? Do you think he thinks you might be out to get him? What's up? I think that he, if he hasn't listened to the podcast, someone's telling him what's going on with the podcast. And we know that his brother Daryl is listening because he's got on, I actually spoke to him. Uh, and then he got on Twitter to try to pretend to be somebody else and start an argument on Twitter. There's been several other people close to the family that have reached out and let us know they're listening. And I think that's it. Because other that doesn't make any sense otherwise why I'd be mad. We had a friendly conversation. I mean, I did point out that he was lying and whatnot. But at the end of the day, we shook hands and said, all right, well, you know, appreciate your time. And when I walked up this, you know, I, I had somebody on on uh, Facebook and she she first started on Facebook, then went to Twitter uh, to tell me that, you know, I didn't handle the interview right, uh, that, that maybe I could have got more out of him if I'd approached it differently. And that may be the case, but it was you have to understand, like you're hearing audio, you're not seeing the visual when the man opens the door and you can see it in his eyes, his body composure, everything that he is waiting to bolt. You know, he does mm-hmm. not he's not going to have this conversation. He kind of tried to come out and, and I guess, you know, give me the old tough guy routine, being shirtless and in his underwear. But that was a strategy? I think maybe. <laughs> I don't like maybe he was dressed and then he saw me and he stripped down just to answer the door. I doubt that's the case. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh but yeah, he was and and he listened like he did open up. He heard me out. As soon as I said the word Watts, he was out. Yeah. As soon as I you know, he you, you can hear in the interview, he interrupted me. As soon as I said, I want to talk to you about Detective Watts, and as soon as I did, it's, what does that have to do with me? I'm done. I'm ready to go. So, But anyway, given that, given the fact that he's cussing as I'm walking up to the door, and he ended the conversation when he ended it, I think that it's pretty clear. He knows that what he told me the last time we spoke has gotten him into trouble. I think that's the best way I can put it. I'm quite certain of that. And I'm guessing Mom probably wasn't too happy about him speaking with me last time either. And that could be the whole thing. Maybe he doesn't listen to the podcast, but maybe after we spoke last time and he explained to her what just happened, she told him to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. And speaking of mom, listener Tony wants to know why you haven't talked to Carol. It hasn't been an option. The first time I talked to Troy, I was there looking for Carol. I didn't know Troy lived there. We had tried a few addresses for Troy. Nothing panned out. We went to Carol's hoping to interview her and hoping that she might lead us to Troy. Well, when we got there, Troy answers the door. And it, when we mentioned his mother at all, he just said, she's not in good health. She's back there. You come this way. There just was never a point in the conversation where it's like, hey, is it okay for me to go talk to your mom? Based on the, just the environment, it, it's kind of appeared or seems to me that she may be bedridden. I don't know. I mean, she's she's always back in a back bedroom. She's never been in. Neither time was she in the living room. You know, she's she's hollering from a back bedroom. So I feel like she and she never came out. She does have MS. MS, right? Yeah, she never came out to see what was happening. She's just yelling from the back room, which to me indicates that she doesn't have the ability to get up and go see. And it's just like you know, like I said, when I end this episode, that I'm I'm done with Troy. I mean, the same like, what's Carol Eldridge going to tell me? Like, we have documented her conflicting stories and her her lying. She left her kids on the side of the road. You know, it's not like she's going to tell me something that I'm going to believe. 
you know, she's not going to come out and say, yeah, it was me. You know, I called in. I wanted some money. She's not going to say that. Mm. So, you know, what's the point other than just for self-gratification of just telling her to go fuck herself? Yeah. <laughs> really? She makes me mad. Yeah, okay. I understand. I understand. Uh, just some things I want to touch down really quick uh, regarding your trip to Troy's. Listener Tammy wrote, you showed great restraint by not kicking down the door with listen, asshole. Uh, which I thought was pretty good because it it seems like that's stuff that happens on TV though. I mean, yeah, right. I, I mean, it, I appreciate the post, but obviously, I'm not going to kick down anybody's door because yeah. I'll just go to jail. Almost went to jail anyway. Uh, yeah, called the police on me. Yeah, yeah, I heard. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, when you got there, were you kind of fired up? Like, no, honestly, no. And I and I wasn't even angry. I was I was more. And Chris could account to this too. We were really second guessing, or I was, you know, anytime, anytime you fail in the objective. So the objective was with Troy was to engage him in a conversation, right? To get a dialogue going where we can be comfortable with each other and talk and see where that leads us. Uh, and that was, you know, like I said, I've had listeners say, well, you didn't get the information out to him. You wanted, like, it really wasn't about playing the message from Jesse. It wasn't about telling him what happened with Watts. Like that's okay for him to have that information. I want him to have it, but I wanted to get into a dialogue with him. So when things got hostile quickly and then ended, uh, I didn't leave there angry with Troy. I left there more kind of you know angry with myself or questioning myself. It's because it's like, what could I have done differently? And I still think maybe I could approach it differently because if if you listen to the the podcast, you'll hear he started to loosen up a little bit, just just a little, like when he was, you know, yeah, well, yeah, they said that about Shauna, but I was screwing these three other girls or whatever, uh-huh. you know. So he was, you know, I was reading him that he started to break down, and that's. I felt like, and maybe still feel like, I made a little bit of a mistake. So I, I read that as, okay, let's go with that now. So, so my response was, right, right. And, and I don't think that's true. And he was with me. And I, I think that the part where maybe I made a mistake was what, what the, the sentence he never let me finish was what I was going to say was, you know, I left here. I'll be honest with you. Left here. Last time I left here, I left kind of pissed off because I was like, you know, why would he have done this? And then right then's when he slammed the door and it was over with. Uh, but what I was wanted to follow up with was, but like now that I've continued looking into the case, I see that things aren't as they appear. It's not about Shauna. It's not about that. And that's what where I was trying to go with it. But in any case, uh, again, long answer, to short question. Sure. But, but no, I mean, I wasn't mad at Troy. I mean, I, the thing is, I you, I you have to have expectations for someone to be angry with him. I have no expectations for Troy. He's Troy Eldridge. He he's the guy that got on the stand and lied to send his brother away for life. I really don't have any expectations for him. For me, just kind of frustrated that I wasn't able to accomplish the mission and you know trying to decide if there's something that I could have done differently that would have gotten us a different outcome. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. But at the end of the day, I made some choices. It is what it is, and that's where we're at. You had to try though, right? Okay. Uh... We had another listener, a different Tony, say, So glad Bob didn't play Jesse's message for Troy. Needs to be conscious of potential allegations of witness tampering. I know none of us are lawyers, Bob, but what do you think of this? That is something that I think we're getting to a point where we need to be conscious of. I don't think uh, playing a message that Jesse said to me that, uh, you know, that, that he feels that Troy beat him and that he's, you know, he's, he's acknowledging that he's been bested and that he doesn't want any more. I don't think so. Because the thing is, Troy's not a witness right now. Jesse's case is dead. It's not open. It doesn't have, you know, it's has, there's been no motions filed. 
So you can't tamper with a witness when there's no case, therefore no witnesses. Okay. Um, but we, are, I think, are quickly approaching the time where this is going to be an actual open case. And at that point, uh, yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, I will stop talking. Well, matter of fact, with Troy, as far as Troy's concerned, I'm already done talking to Troy. I just, you know, the only reason I went back to see him again was because I had already established a rapport, I thought, with Troy. So try to continue that that dialogue. Uh, and kind of part of my intention, too, was to say, all right, well, you know, you you're, don't need to tell. It. This is going to a place where it's beyond what I need to know. And let's set you up with the CIU investigator, uh, introduce you to them so you can talk. Because I kind of felt like we were getting to that place. But now that I see that we're not in that place, then I'm backing off because that's the CIU's job at this point. Uh, and really any other witnesses that are involved in the case. And that's why I said, you know, our process now shifts to trying to solve the murder because the CIU does have their own investigators and they're going to be investigating anything that has to do with the conviction, with the trial. You know, did they receive a fair trial? So they're going to be checking with, you know, lawyers and witnesses and things like that. For example, my interview with Shauna, Shauna had nothing to do with the trial. So that's not a CIU thing. Right. But uh, based on, I will say, based on the outcome of our interview from this point forward, I think Shauna is going to be a CIU thing. And you'll hear about that on Sunday. All right. And then here were a few questions I wanted answered on the air before we moved on. They were somewhat unrelated to the show, but they're pertaining to the case in general. Uh, and they might spark some conversation. Moving back to the topic of Kenneth Ray Williams as the potential killer, Holly on Twitter says, Any chance of Kenneth Ray Williams and the Grove Rats being connected? Could that be the middle-aged man she saw driving the Z-28? She She's talking about Kiao here, I believe. It, really, at this point, I think that anything's possible. Seems a little odd for a group of people that are kind of known to be racist to include an African-American in their ranks to commit a crime. Not out of the question because, you know, this, this Grove Rats has so many different factions of them. And different levels of racism, I guess. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's also possible that it could have been an accidental two of them being involved. Meaning, so say it's something like Kenneth Ray Williams is buying weed from a couple of these Grove rats. And he comes out of the woods because he lives right behind there. And is reaching into the white Z-28 to buy some marijuana. And Kiao comes by and says something, and then suddenly, unplanned, all four of these people, or three of these people, whoever, are involved in the attack, where it was not intended to be that way. Okay. I don't think that's what happened. I don't think the crime scene and Kiao's injuries indicate that that's the way this went down. Also, the victimology and her being followed and all that. I don't think she just stumbled upon a drug deal, but it's possible. Um, also, I wanted to mention, I don't know if you have this in your notes, Mike, but on the fan page, there was some discussion about all the different vehicles, right? So we have the white Z28 Camaro. Right. And then there's the white Cadillac, which is the vehicle that Kiao reported to Kenneth was following her a yep. few days before. And then uh, the question came up, well, then we also have this white van. And a few listeners were doing some research, uh, people that have actually helped trace down some of these, you know, like Grove Rats people. And have found, like, here are people that are connected to the white Cadillac and the white Camaro and a white van. And and it's it's really good work, but I just wanted to point out, and I, I mentioned it on the fan page, everybody, I personally think the white van is a complete red herring, and I'll explain to you why. The white van came from, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now off the top of my head, which friend, DeMarosa or something like that, mm -hmm. Delarosa, whoever it was, it was one of Kiao's friends, 
told Royster about the white van. And she says that Kiao told her the Monday before she was killed that there was a white van following her and bothering her while she was walking. Now, what you have to realize is that she said that she had that conversation with Kiao with Kenneth present while Kiao and Kenneth were walking together. When Kenneth is asked about the white van, Kenneth says, there is no white van, never heard anything about a white van, only ever heard about a white Cadillac. So, therefore, the reason I say that the white van is a red herring is because I believe the white van is the white Cadillac. I think the friend uh, misunderstood, misspoke. When Kenneth again was confronted about it, he said, no, it was a white Cadillac, it wasn't a white van. Uh, this didn't come from Kiao, didn't come from Kenneth, came from the friend. Uh, so the only way that the white van really is a thing is if Kia was being stalked by a white Cadillac and a white van and then told her friend about the white van in front of Kenneth, who didn't hear it, but then told Kenneth about a white Cadillac. So my feelings on it are the white van is the white Cadillac and the white Cadillac may or may not be the white Z28. It's my personal opinion. that There was only one white vehicle. And that would be the white Z28. Yeah, definitely the white Z28. Yeah, I kind of think so, too. Um, maybe the Cadillac was a thing, but it just, you know, as Jim Clemente said, and, and again, I acknowledge that a lot of us have very different opinions about this, and and none of us know for certain, but I kind of had the same line of thinking as Jim Clemente that there just aren't coincidences like this, where she says, I'm being stalked. First of all, remember, Kenneth says Kiao doesn't know cars, but she says she's being stalked by a white Cadillac, a white American-made car that starts with the letter C-A. He says she would have had to read it because she doesn't know cars. Mm -hmm. So she's being stalked by a white American-made car that starts with C-A, and then there's a report of a white Camaro a couple days later that is involved in her abduction by based on that one story. I just, I just, I think they're probably the same car. Okay, and then one more thing here from Amy on the fan page. She writes, July 25th, 1991 was a Thursday, and both Jesse, Troy, and father were, according to Troy's testimony, working at Edison Commercial during that time. Did they have this day off? I'm only asking because during a separate interview with Carol, she states Troy called her because he wanted to spend time with her, yet in Troy's affidavit, he states he was painting at his mom's house. What do you think, Bob? I think Troy's a mess, and so is Carol. You know, yeah, definitely. I mean, Troy said different things to me, too. You know, he in his interview with me, he says he's uh, going to do some painting. I think at trial, he said he was doing some painting. Carol says he just wanted to spend some time. I think at one point, Troy says he wanted to spend some time. one point, Troy says that Jesse told him to call his mom because he always goes to his mom's when he's stressed as far as where they were working. There, you're you're going to hear more about that also mm -hmm. uh, on Sunday in Shauna's interview. I'll give you a little spoiler there. Uh, Troy wasn't working at all. Um, you know, so it, again, it's uh, how did uh, Julie or Sarah put it in serial? It's like trying to plot the the course of someone's dream uh, with Jay Wilde. It's the same thing. It's like you can't and it all goes back to, you know, trying to remember a lie as opposed to remember an event. You know, he just keeps fucking up all the details over and over and over again. It's because none of them are true. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and I think her point here is that she's poking holes in Troy's story, which is awesome that she's picking. And that's what I love is everybody finding all these details because all of this, like these ideas, people need to realize, all of you listening, these ideas like this, this, this is all getting noted and it's all getting documented. And these are things like if we go into court, like these are arguments Allison will use. These, what you're saying here are things that Allison might confront Troy Eldridge with in court. That's why it matters so much that all of you are so involved and so engaged 
and that you're digging through these documents and and picking this apart. So you know, it may not always get discussed in detail on the show, or you know, you may not get a response on Twitter or whatever it is. But just know everything's being listened to. We're reading everything. Everything's being documented. And you're taking a case that just a couple of months ago, no one, even the team at the Innocence Project of Texas, didn't really know a whole lot about. And based on all of the work that you're all helping us to do, we now have an extremely clear picture of what did happen, what didn't happen, and we're starting to hone in on what might have happened, which is a big deal. So I think that that is a good one to probably wrap on. Um, I think this week, instead of voicemails, what we're going to do uh, after the break here, where we're going to talk about Blue Apron, we're actually going to have our sound guy, our sound engineer and music man, Shane Yoder from PutThemInASong.com. I've actually never got to speak with Shane before. Uh, personally, we always kind of have texted and emailed back and forth. And I think he really he really knocked it out of the park with uh, episode 314 with all the sound effects and everything. Amazing work. Yeah. He, he's, he's progressively getting better and better at it. Yeah. And we talk about uh, in this little short little interview we're going to have coming up how that's kind of come to be. So let's take a quick break for Blue Apron, and uh, we'll come back with a short interview with Shane Yoder from PutThemInASong.com. Sounds good. Bob. Shane Yoder, what's shaking, brother? Oh, not a whole lot. You know what I just realized? This is actually the first time I've ever heard your voice. Uh, Yeah. I try to stay secluded like that. (laughs) <laughs> would you say you were up in the mountains uh for the yeah. last couple of weeks yeah yeah my wife was out of town so i decided to go visit my parents in the appalachian mountains and that's where i worked from the last month it was great i got home and my wife got one of those uh little dogs that end with poo I don't know exactly what it is, but it looked like they're little yippy dogs. <laughs> and, and he just came in and, and pissed in my office. So. <laughs> that is a great start well, to your morning, huh? Yeah. Yep. That's how this started. So Mrs. Yoder went and got you guys a new family dog uh, without mm-hmm. consulting with you, huh? Right. Sounds yeah. like the way things work around the rough household. Yep. Yeah. We only have two. I don't. How many do you have? Like six? No, it seems that way. There's only two, but they're just, uh, the two have been... Oh, really? Yeah, it's two German Shepherds, but they've just managed to dig craters through my entire backyard. Oh, yeah. I I did see that picture. I I recommend just concrete. Just just concrete your yard. That way you don't have to mow it either. That sounds good. That, yeah, we thought about AstroTurf, but I think they'd eat that too. Uh, I want to, Shane, let me introduce you to the, this guy over here to my right. This is, uh, Mike Bussing. You guys have never met either. That's right. What's up, Shane? How's it going? Hey, Mike, how you doing? Pretty good, man. It's good to finally hear you. Well, I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> idiots. That's going in the blooper reel. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, one, that one made the blooper reel. Uh, so, Shane, I wanted to get you on the phone. Just, uh, was, you know, we were setting up our Friday follow-up this week and thought, first of all, this past week, episode 314, The Witness of Truth and Justice, I thought that you did... In incredible, I, I think, as as we always joke back and forth with each other every week when we're sending the episodes back and forth, that this is right. the best one yet. But I really think that your work on this one was the best one yet. And I was just thinking as I was going through, like going back through our text messages and everything you did to adjust the way that, you know, the, the vocals sounded and the sound effects you added and all of that process. I thought maybe the listeners would like to hear from you, like what that process is like. Because this has been a learning experience for all three for of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, because yep. you've never, it's, it's, to my knowledge, prior to us uh, hooking up, you have never scored a podcast before. Is that right? No, and I, I, I mean, there are very few people out there that do. <laughs> right. You know, because it's such a new, new thing, and you know, I did a lot of listening to Dateline episodes and watching the ID network to get the kind of the levels right. But when you watch a, a TV show, you get the visual aspect of it, uh, of them talking or narrating. And then you're also watching something on the television and you're, you're distracted by that. And the music is a whole lot louder than it should be. Then just listening to a podcast because you hear two things and you it's it's a whole different level that i found that you have to you have to drop the levels way down because of the the vocals as opposed to like a theme song well you don't you also you also don't have the visual to drive your point home so like when you're watching tv right you know the 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 different you know people speaking in the audio can conflict a little bit because you can see what's happening where and this is it's just been such a neat process you know and that's you know us trying to learn this and you know and and it's been a really interesting process kind of like the blind leading the blind because Shane will put something together you know and I work in strictly audio work so I'm like ah it doesn't sound quite right and so I'll try to tell Shane uh, that we need to adjust something which usually sounds something like I don't know what's happening I don't know why but something's not right can you fix it yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yep. and, and that's a i i've had to learn your your uh your terminology for, <laughs> or lack thereof that's exactly right so, so so then shane will come back with me like oh well i'm gonna adjust uh i think you threw a new word at me this work uh sibilance i think you, you sibilance yeah. yeah yeah and and i think i responded back F- you shane you know i don't know what that means wow and that's exactly why i sent it to you right <laughs> but it's been it it really has been cool so you got shane's a, a nashville musician we actually hooked up on my other podcast he did some work for that one uh, just kind of goofing around, and you know, when we were looking for some new music guys, we asked if Shane would like to jump on board. And it's you know, every week, oh, that's what kind of led to you know, Music Gate 2017 uh, was about a month and a half ago when we had the social oh, when yeah. I made the mistake of asking people's <laughs> opinions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. What a nightmare. <laughs> social media nightmare. Yeah. But the thing is, though, it was you know, it, it that was rough. It was rough to hear. I think Shane, both uh, your wife and mine, were ready to claw some people's eyes out uh, during that oh, process. Yeah. But we learned from it. You know, we learned from it a little bit. And I just, I think that this week, you really, you just nailed it. You you cleaned up the vocals just right. Uh, you threw in sound effects and the music. You know, the the key for what what I like to hear is when I'm listening and. I don't notice the music is there until it's there right when it needs to be, and you don't and you don't even notice when it, when the hell it came in. But and I feel like you just nailed that perfectly this week. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's definitely getting better. Uh, I I haven't listened to what we did in the the first few episodes when we were just trying to get our stuff together and uh, trying to find a groove of how to do this. But I'm I'm sure I would uh, really would love to do those over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, and I've done that uh, myself many times where I'll get three episodes. Matter of fact, I have prior to uh, you jumping on board and doing the music. I did all you wrote the music, uh, and then I would mm-hmm. I would drop it in. And there were several times where I would like listen to a newer episode I did, and then go back and be like I want to go back two episodes and fix that one because you know all of us. So so we've got. Me, the fireman, Mike, the fireman, 
that just kind of became podcasters by accident. And mm-hmm. then and then Shane, the Nashville musician who came a, became a podcast scorer by accident. All of us trying mm-hmm. to figure this out. I, I think we're doing all right. I think we're putting out some pretty damn good yeah. product. And I think a lot of that comes from your end. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Bob and Mike. i I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your because because you have your story is pretty interesting too because i mean you had like a a real job uh much like me not too long ago so you know what has progressed in your life over the last several months well i i did have a factory job i i actually made guitars here in nashville and um for i don't know four years and I supported my wife when she was uh, starting her business as a hair and makeup artist. And now it's her turn to uh, kind of support support me as I do this put them in a song thing. And I've been writing songs for 15 years and doing a lot of custom songs for people. And that, I mean, that's just one aspect of the, the website, but the scoring and the mood setting stuff, the songwriting really helps because I record, I've always recorded my own stuff. So that, that's really helped. But the last couple of months, I've really found a, a new love for just the, the scoring and the, that mood setting stuff. And I love, I still love songwriting, but it, it's been great. I mean, I'm doing what I love and I get to travel, obviously I get to travel around wherever I want to go, as long as the wife approves. Right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but she's kind of stuck here in Nashville as far as her job. But we're we're just loving life here in Nashville, I guess. And then I guess you are technically my boss. But, <laughs> um, but I mean, it doesn't feel like it. It's more of a friendship than, than a, we, we work together on stuff than, yeah, just so you know, I don't I don't consider myself uh, your boss at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's but been technically neat. you do pay me. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and you know, and and it's what's neat is you know this new uh, w- without getting into um, experiences of the past, but this what we have going on now between you, me, and Mike, and I'll even include Desiree and um, the Sarahs and Chris Brinkley. Um, and even Tate and Amanda, who make our our logos and stuff, as just it's the Truth and Justice team, and I, and but particularly with the production with you, me and Mike, it just it's I'm just I, I've always just wanted to have you know as a I guess quote boss, just to not be a boss, but to have a team and just to have you know three different cogs to this machine that all were you know because you know the way it works on our end is. I do research, write an outline, bounce ideas off Mike. Mike panics all week because he has no idea what I'm going to talk. Absolutely no clue until we get on the microphones. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. So, so it's you such see, a rush. If we if we haven't recorded by Thursday morning, Mike has hives. He's scared to death. Yeah. Um. We. we I, I make an outline, research, uh, record. So the the episode, the thirty to forty minute episode that you hear on Sunday is usually an hour, hour and a half of recording. And and Mike does that editing and like what's that let's talk what's that process like for you? Um, it's uh, a little tedious and I don't know it, it it's getting easier and I think that uh, we've kind of got a system down now to where we do sort of the rough quick edit where we just chop everything together and cut out all the uh, all the bullcrap and then we go back through again once it's sort of put together and get an actual feel for for the piece as a whole. 
Yeah. You know, and that's part of the reason why in these episodes we've started doing the the bloopers at the end. They're they're kind of funny. I mean, they're, they are funny usually. Right. Uh, but it's also to give the listeners an idea of what this process looks like. Like, it's not like we just sit down and, you know, one take, nail it. You know, we it, it takes a lot of work. And that's Mike's job is to take an hour and a half and turn it into 30 minutes. Then we together listen through and we adjust timings. Right. And we, and we have to kind of imagine and, and your name comes up a lot, Shane, during this process. You know, it'll be we'll be like, okay, let's let's leave Shane about three seconds to work with here. Like, like he can he yeah, can let's let's let Shane work his magic here. Yeah. yeah, or we'll let Shane fix it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I find myself adjusting the like you put pauses in there, but I I do adjust those pauses accordingly to the the track that's underneath it. And, you know. It, it's it's a very subtle. I I don't think you would notice, but I I do adjust some timing on your things. Too. Right, and we figure that you know if you got a song and you want to make the beat because like like I said this last episode, it was just, it just seemed like the beats were falling at the perfect moment, like right what we were feeling. And so yeah, I assume that you know that's not all you know my magic on this end. That maybe there's a little bit on your end of you adjusting some of that timing to make that work. Yeah, yeah, it's and I wanted to to mention as well like. I don't get to enjoy truth and justice like I used to. <laughs> it's, <laughs> right. it's a, I, I listened through the episode while I'm scoring probably a total of six times because I go back and listen to uh, the, the levels of the vocals and the, the, the music and where it comes in. So I, I'm not really listening for uh, enjoyment anymore. I mean, it sucks. So it? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It it kind of takes the uh, enjoyment out of it for that that aspect. But I still I, scoring is so much fun. I love it so much. And you do at least get the scoop. You like the whatever the big reveal is at the end of the episode. You you get to know uh -huh. before everybody else. Because I usually get that text. The the holy cow that that really happened. Yep. And I I usually post it on Twitter, and there are a couple people that don't. They give me hell for it, but. <laughs> for teasing them, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, and it's the same thing with Mike too, because he, you know, that's to me like I still, and so does Mike, on Sunday morning still download the episode and listen to it. And my, and of course, my wife gives me hell for that because she's like, "Oh, you just like hearing the sound of your own voice." Mm -hmm. But it is like I've, I've, you know, I've spoken it, I've heard it. Same thing with Mike; he's editing it back and forth, and you know, on his process, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, cutting it and editing it. Uh, and then your process with the music going into it, it's like when it's all done, I just want to hear like, what does this sound like at the end of the day when it's all finished up? And so, yeah. you know, I always listen to it on Sunday. That, that's my chance to actually try to enjoy the podcast, which is difficult because it's nobody likes to hear the sound of their own voice. <laughs> that's one thing you learn in podcasting for sure, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Shane, I just, you know, that was one thing I wanted, I wanted the listeners to kind of meet you as, as part of the Truth and Justice team and also hear a little bit about your process. And so before I let you go, can you tell the listeners a little bit about PutThemInASong.com and what you do and how they can get in touch with you if they want to have some music work done? Yes, PutThemInASong.com and we do, we co-write with you essentially if you want a song written for your loved one. We've done all kinds of different genres. We've gone anything from Sinatra style to Johnny Cash to last week we did a Spice Girls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wanted to tell you, Bob, I've had quite a few orders from the UK. So apparently you are big in the UK. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny. So you got a lot of lot of orders from because we do. We have um, our audience is primarily United States. I think the UK is our second largest audience, followed by Australia. I believe we've gotten any Australian orders yet. Wow, no, I haven't. But yeah, we do uh, custom songs. We do any kind of music that you might need for a trailer or a podcast. We do intros. We make them catchy and just the way you want them. We do first dance songs. I know we we danced to, before the website got started. Me and my wife decided we'll we'll dance to our own, and that's what we did. And it was it was great. We do birthday specials where if you want to say a happy birthday, and and they're they're a shorter song. We do a lot of comedy. You'd be surprised how many people want comedy opposed to like an I love you kind of thing or a, an emotional song. But we do it all. Well, that's funny. So. That That's actually how we were introduced to Shane. Uh, originally was on the Off Duty podcast. You and uh, was it one of your vocalists, Erica Chambers? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Had just wrote some, you know, we take phone calls on that on that uh, podcast. And the kind of the gag is that I always yell at everybody and hang up on them. The lines are open, won't you give us a ring? But we'll hang up on your ass if you ain't interesting. Uh, and you guys put, made us a phone call song and a mail song. And now our new fake news song, <laughs> uh, which are all comedy stuff. But that's true. I would believe two, you're right. One. This is the off-duty fake news report. Alternative facts with research Ryan and arrest. Man, he goes clicking the clack on the keyboard all day long. Proby Mike. None of these are. <laughs> None of these are. Look, alternative facts are not facts. They're falsehoods. You are fake news. And your host, Bob Ruff. Uh, but yeah, that's how we got introduced to Shane. And so now you've done some work for some other podcasts, right? You didn't you do the the new intro? I think I just heard the other day for Pints and Puzzles. For Pints and Puzzles, yeah, yeah. TJ is such a nice guy. Yeah, we did the intro for that, and um, we've done other podcasts and YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done some. I guess people. I I'm not a gamer, but I guess people watch people play games on YouTube. Oh yeah, it's really and, popular. Uh, yeah. It's really yeah. popular for Mike's generation. It's a, it's a big deal. No, it's for it's him and my like my children and Mike. It's, it's younger people. It's teenagers. Uh, so yeah, we've do, we've done stuff for that as well, and also like promo videos. Awesome, just background music. Yeah, yeah and you awesome did the custom scoring for our um, trailer for this season of Truth and Justice, which came out awesome. So all right, Shane. Well, hey, I appreciate you calling in. Uh, and give a chance of listeners a chance to meet you. And again, it's the first time I've I've got to actually hear your voice. And uh, we'll have you this week's episode by uh, at least by late Friday night. No worries. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. And to get in touch with Shane, if you need a song written or a podcast scored or a video scored, that is putthemina.song.com. And thanks for calling in, Shane. Good to talk to you, buddy. You too, buddy. Take care, have Shane. Bye. All right, well, I think that about wraps it up for this week. 
Uh, big thanks to Shane for coming on the show and also for all the hard work that he does. I can tell you, I'm really looking forward to Sunday's episode dropping. Uh, that's what I'll be working on for the rest of the week. I'm really looking forward to Sunday's episode dropping. It's going to be all about my interview with Shauna Couples, and there is some groundbreaking, crazy information that's going to come out in this interview. So you're definitely not going to want to miss this one. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Mike Bussing. All music for the show is created by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer for creating the logo for the Friday follow-ups. Thank you to Desiree Dunn, Sarah Hoyt, and Sarah Mueller for transcribing the episodes. Thank you to Chris Brinkley of SylviaConsultants.com for creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at TruthAndJusticePod.com. You can like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Mic check, one, two, three, mic check. Mic check. Mic check. check. Mic check. Mic check. Mic check. Shut up, let's call Shane. I also didn't get an entire hour and a half of recording inside the school because Chris forgot to push a button. I didn't think you wanted to bring that up on the podcast today. I didn't either, but there it went, right? Oh, you think Chris is going to take this well? You doodly? What the f*** is all this? Yeah, I've taken up drawing again. (laughs) I've taken up drawing again. Can you hit pause, please? Can I I don't... Can We're I, doing a podcast. Can I just ask you, at what point in the process of... Yeah. I mean, what what do you want me to say, man? I I, I got to occupy my time. This right? looks like a Simpsons character. Is that what that is? No. No, those are sunglasses. Is that a scorpion? Yeah. It is? Yeah, it's a scorpion. Nice. <laughs> How about this guy? How about this little guy down here flying a kite? What is that? It's just a head. Oh. Just a, just a guy's it's head. It's a head. Comic book head. Rocket ship? I wasn't sure what that was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, hang on. I drink my coffee. All right. This is a late back episode. Right, chill. All right, what's next? All that's running through your your face. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> I've got a little bit more to go here, Bobby. Yeah? Quite a bit. Yeah? <clears throat> you got nothing for me. Yes. What a sidekick. Come on, buddy. Help me out here. You know, my, my wife is a really good cook and likes to buy groceries. <laughs> that. Okay, well, I think that about wraps it up today. I want to thank Mike and Shane for joining us on the show this week. Thanks for having us. That's dumb. Let's not do that.
You're here every week. Every single episode. It's your job. Those follow-up episodes. Yeah. I write I write the outline for these episodes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming, Mike. 